0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of First or 2 Kings, chapter 1. I'm going to speak for just a little while, and I'll title it, According to the Word of the Lord. And perhaps I will follow that up by saying, "This has got to stick." Say it with me, this has got This has got to stick. Amen. Second Kings chapter one, starting with verse one. Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ab- Ahab. <clears throat> and Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Zebub Or we'll just say Beelzebub. It flows a little bit better and it's a little bit more accurate. So we'll just go right there. Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishabite, Tishbite, arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, it is, not because there is, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore thus saith say the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah departed. And when the messengers turned back unto him, or onto the king, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? Why are you here so quickly, is what he's saying. Huh. Why? Because they were supposed to go to Ekron. He's king in the northern kingdom, Samaria. Ekron is located on the border, right on the border, of Judah, the tribe of Judah, where that they reside, and Benjamin. So it's quite a bit to the south, and yet they've returned quickly. Why are you back so quickly? And when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto them, why are you now turned back? And they said unto him, in verse 6, there came a man up to meet us, and said unto us, go, turn again unto the king that sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. Hmm. I want to point out three times now, in the short span of Scripture, three times it's been mentioned. That he had gone to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. First in verse 2, then again in verse 3, and then in verse 6. Three times, anytime I see three in the scriptures, something starts to go off in my brain. Pay attention, beware. Beware. Threes, we know threes have to do with the limitation of man. There's the, uh, the, the, the law of survival, the basic laws. Go ahead and Google it, or look, not right now, but when you have time, or, or ask Siri about the basic laws of survival. Man can live by threes. Three minutes without air. Three days without water. Three weeks without food, in general, generally speaking. Because there's something to threes. And throughout the Bible, we will do well to notice when there's threes. And it has everything to do with the limitation of the natural man. And so three times they've inquired. Verse 7, the king asks, he says unto them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man and gird with a girdle of leather about his loins. Now, it's not because he was hairy like Esau. It was a coat of hair that he wore. The the attire of a prophet. It it was obvious who the man was. And it's telling by his response. And the king says, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Hmm. Verse 9, then the king sent Unto him a captain of fifty with his fifty, and he went up to him, and behold, he sat on top of a hill. And he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. So the king sends a captain with fifty men to retrieve Elijah. And Elijah in verse 10 answered and said unto the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, And this is just me, this is what I believe, but I believe he's literally almost questioning because his whole life has been marked with turmoil and fighting this same family on the run constantly. But we're not going to talk about that, it's just throwing that in there. If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty, and there shall come And and there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Okay. So again, also he sent unto him another captain of 50 and his 50. The king's response is exactly the same. I'm going to try the same thing again. Send 50 more guys, 50 more men. Hmm. And he answered and said unto him, O man of God, thus hath the king said, come down quickly. (laughs) Change it up just a little bit. Maybe with a little bit more authority. Get down here right away. Quickly. And Elijah answered and said unto him, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven. Perhaps with a little bit more authority. And faith this time, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. What do you think happens? And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. And he sent again. (laughs) This king is not going to give up. And dare I say, a third time. For the third time, he sent a captain Of the third 50 and his 50 and the third captain of 50 went up. And I don't know if I'll have time to get into it, but I do believe this captain was probably a man of God. A man of faith. There's always a remnant. There is always a remnant. Even when Ahab and Jezebel were still alive, there was a remnant there was a man that tucked away prophets for God right within the house of Ahab. A man from within the house, one of his personal men, tucked away. There's always a remnant, and God always has a plan. Can you just imagine? You get the orders. <laughs> Here's what you are to do. Take your 50 men and go get Elijah. I'm going to make it real easy for you because we know right where he's at. His position has already been located. It's right here. All you got to do is go get him. But you know what's happened already two times. You get these orders, and you're a man submitted or a woman submitted to authority, and so you have no choice but to follow your orders. Go get the man. But you know what happened to the first. Fire come down from heaven and consume them completely. and, and, And I don't know the Bible... Doesn't necessarily say it, but we know another time in scripture where fire came down from heaven in Elijah's ministry, and, and there was nothing left of that fire. It consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the wood, it consumed the, the stones, it consumed the water. Everything was gone, but we don't know in this case, there might have been charred fragments and bones remaining evidence of what has happened before and even the second man coming probably walking past those charred bones and, and I can only imagine but that's probably what pushed him to be a little bit more authoritative but now you're the third person and you have the orders huh, to follow in the footsteps of those who've come before and we see huh, he was a man of revelation his captain was I, I, I'm going to have to do something a little bit different I would say he was insightful. And so he came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him. I'll point it out. He placed himself in a position of humility. He humbled himself before the man of God, before the presence of God. It saves him and it saves his men. It makes all the difference in his life. That position of submission. Oh man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50, thy servants, be precious in thy sight. Oh. Do we really realize how precious we are in God's sight? So precious that he would make that ultimate sacrifice for all of us, each of us, individually, all together, all inclusive, and yet so personal. Hmm. But that position is so critical. I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50, thy servants, be precious in thy sight. Behold, There came down fire from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. It was then that the angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. Verse 16. I'll point out, three times it's already been It's already been stated what the plan was. You have a king in need. He's sick, he's in bed, he's dying, he's not getting well. He was going to inquire of Beelzebub in Ekron. Three times it's been stated. We need to make a change. The heart needs to make a change. The the lost soul needs to make a change before it gets to the final statement that we see in verse 16. And he said unto him, thus saith the Lord... He's speaking to the king. What God is saying is because you have not changed, because you you haven't changed your direction, because you haven't changed your position, O king, for as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, once again, is it not because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore thou shalt not come down off that bed on which thou art gone up but shall surely die. Verse 17, and here you have it. So he died according to the word of God. He died according to the word of God. Here's the message this morning. We will live or we will die according to the word of God. It's immutable, unchangeable, set in stone. Where we position ourselves makes all the difference in the world. Makes all the difference in our lives. Makes all the difference in our eternity. Amen. Thank God for his word. You know, the king knew who Elijah was. I'll remind you, and we'll turn there quick, in 2 Kings chapter 18. Going back just a little bit, familiar passage of scripture. Where we have the great, the great battle as recorded. Battle with Elijah. And what was it? 850 prophets, 450 of Baal, and 400 of Estorah. Chapter 18 and, and verse 19. Now, therefore, th- this, is, this is Ahab in response to Elijah. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves. If you have another rendering, it may say of Ashtoreth. 400 of those prophets and gather unto Mount Carmel. Who, who was summoned? Who was summoned? Who did Ahab summon to, to witness this event? All of Israel, right? So our opening scripture, the king, he knows who Ahab is. I would say the captain of the 50, the first captain, and the second captain, and even the third captain in all Israel know that there is a God in Israel. They know of this event. They were there. They witnessed it with their very own eyes. Their response Verse 37, hear, O Lord. This is, this is the prayer of, of e- Elijah when it's his turn to perform the sacrifice. Hear me, o, o Lord, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, and when all the people saw it, when all those who had been summoned saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And yet we see just a short time later, perhaps just a a few years later down the road, a king going to inquire of Beelzebub in Ekron, and so, when the prophet Elijah is saying, It's because there's no king in Israel, they know there's a king. They know, or no God in Israel. They know who Yahweh is. They know the one true God. They've witnessed it. They saw the fire come down from heaven. They, were, they knew of it even when it came down a little bit later and consumed the first 50 and the second 50. And yet, there's a complete denial and, 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 and setting in his way, the king's way, to go after. Something else, something different. Anything other than God. Anything other than Jesus. This amazes me. This blows me away. The evidence they had, the physical evidence. Think of it. You're an Israelite. And you're witnessing this incredible uh, sacrifice off, if I could say it that way. You're watching 850 prophets Trying to call onto their gods. And all of them started with Baal and Ashtoreth. She was the mother of Baal, and Baal represented a great many gods of the Canaanites. And they're, go ahead and read through it, they're going on and on and on. And as the hours are waning and, and there's no answer, no response, and Elijah starts to mock them and say, Well, maybe he's sleeping or maybe he's on vacation. He just doesn't hear you. Get louder. And then you watch the progression. huh? You watch the progression of sin and the results of it. As man is looking for something, anything to fill a hole that cannot be filled, to heal something that cannot be healed by science or the world or, or medicine, only God can touch these things. And they're refusing to look to the one true God who they know the history of. They know their history. And yet they're going after anything else other than him. So they start to cut themselves. No different than what we see in society today as, as man just continues to, to fall further and further in depravity and sin and debauchery. It was the same thing. Oh, nothing changes. Nothing changes. Oh, oh, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man's heart hasn't changed. Oh, the scenery may change. The seasons may go on and on and, 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 and generation after generation, but man's heart never changes. The devil doesn't change. He doesn't have to. What works, what worked 5,000 years ago, works today. And that's Jesus. That's God. That don't change. That never will. All the people knew. In verse 40, and Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. Not even one escape." And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now it's kind of interesting as I kind of page through and browse through. I'm curious because I know some time has elapsed between Jezebel and Ahab and their son who's now king. But interestingly enough, I don't really see in Scripture where they've been able to reestablish and bring those prophets back or or get the next generation of false prophets and and false doctrine completely established. Instead, what we see is that Israel is somewhat victorious uh, in some battles. And then we see in chapter 21 of 1 Kings, we'll stop here for just a second. We see something else displayed in Ahab when he's still king. 1 Kings 21 and verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jez, uh, Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. It was close by. It was near to. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for, a, I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it or if it seemed good to thee i will give thee the worth of it in money now this sounds like a pretty good proposition i i will if you will give me the vineyard i will give you more than the worth of the vineyard makes sense to me you're going to give me more than it's worth or give me one better than this at face value At face value, it looks like a good proposition. However, if we keep reading. And Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Now, I know he's talking about land. But there's something deeper about the word of God. There's something spiritual about the word of God. And there's nothing that will replace, huh? there is nothing that can replace what our heritage truly is and what God truly is doing in our lives, has been doing, and is what is continuing to do. There's nothing worth trading this for. There's nothing worth trading this grace, this message of truth, this message of liberty and life and that more abundantly in Christ. There's nothing worth trading that for. And it may seem like it at times, but it's nothing more than a facade. He's saying, no, I know what my inheritance is. I know what God's portion is for me. That's powerful. He's saying I'm going to stay positioned in the right place. I will not be moved. I'm staying right here. I don't care how well you make this look or how pleasant it may seem. I know where God wants me. Position. It Doesn't end up working well for him. Ahab. Uh, <laughs> whines and cries about it. You have to give you the abbreviated version. Whines and cries about it. Jezebel comes up with a plan. And she takes care of it. What did she do? She appeased to Ahab. She made Ahab feel good about himself. I, I don't have time to go deep into it, but if I look at Ahab and sum him up, he had all the position and authority that man could have during that time. And yet he did nothing with it. Hmm. You know what he did? He didn't use any restraint or self discipline. The position God had put him in, ah, with just a little bit of self discipline, he could have been a great king. Now, 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 watch this. Verse 19, the prophet, and thou shalt speak unto him, saying, This is God saying to the prophet, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Verse 20, And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Think of it. The man of God becomes your enemy? God forbid we would ever find ourselves in that place. Ah! Oh, I don't think we could be in a worse place. Then the man carrying God's word become an our enemy. And yet because he had no discipline in his life whatsoever, that's where he found himself. He enabled his wife and had no self-discipline. And Ahab said to Eli, verse 21, Behold, I will bring evil upon thee and will take away thy posterity. This is, this is the, the, the effect, this is the reaping of what he has sowed. Take away thy posterity and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. For the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. Verse 25, and here you have it. But there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. There was none like Ahab, perhaps even after Ahab. There was something about him hmm, that separated him from all the other kings. Then, not one king in the divided kingdom of Israel and the northern tribes, not one of them served God. He, at face value is very similar, but there was something different about him, and he's being marked right here. Verse 26, and he did very abominably in following idols according to all things as did the Amorites whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. So here you have it. What you have is a pattern set up. If I can wrap this up quickly. God comes in, And God establishes. He tells Israel as a whole, which is an example for the church and for you and I. You're going to come into the land. I'm going to give you victory in the land. I'm bringing you towards a a land flowing with milk and honey to give you an expected end. You're going to have to go in and you're going to have to purge the land completely. Why? Because if you do not, it will come back to own you. And we see this play out over and over and over again in Israel. Ahab welcomed, he welcomed all those false gods in Baal, brought them in for his own benefit. I don't even think it was because he he wanted to serve them. I think it was because, hmm, it made him feel good. It covered everything up. And yet somehow, this man that was marked among all the other kings in verse 29, when his response is to repent, watch what God does. Watch the grace and the mercy of God. Seest how thou Ahab humbleth himself before me, because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days, and will bring evil upon his house. Somehow God granted grace to Ahab, this wicked, evil king. So, here we go. Beelzebub, that god that his son was going looking for, that, that term means lord of the flies. It also means lord of the dung, and it also means prince of demons. Ekron was Palestine. It was, uh, it, or it was the Phil, uh, Philistine stronghold. Weapons were stored in Ekron. Think of it, when David defeated Goliath and the Philistines fled for their lives, where did they flee to? And I quote, as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. Here's what we got to remember. That God is good, his grace, his mercies, they've gone before us, they're all around us, his hand is upon us. What we cannot afford to do is ever go looking back to the old and to the old ways. What does 2 Corinthians tell us? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Behold, a proclamation. We can never afford to gravitate back to the old ways where there are strongholds because God is still revealing things he's still tearing some things open in us so that he can continue to grow us. I don't have time to go into it deep enough. But that's exactly what this pattern is referring to, where those strongholds were. That was the same place where they had their stockpile and their iron, and in the same time as, as David was, as Saul was, was king and Jonathan, they only had two swords. Why? Because the Philistines had a stronghold on all the weapons. What did the weapons signify? Safety or protection? It was what? Sickles? Swords? The the, the plowshares? It, it would have been what was the word I just used? Protection? And help me Jesus. Provision. Protection and provision. That's what's in Jesus. And so, with a flurry, Exodus chapter 20. I'll wrap up with just these few scriptures. We see in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 5, according to the word of God. We pursue the new creature which is in Christ. We pursue the new man And there's got to be some denying of the old in the process. I say this often. It's really simple, but it'll never be easy. Here's what God's word says. That thou shalt not bow thyself to them or serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But thank God for verse 6, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 34, and verse 7. It's cited again, the second time. Keeping mercy, it starts with the mercy, keeping mercy for a thousand, or for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That will by no means clear the iniquity, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. And then one more time in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14 and verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. Three times. Three times. Now, Deuteronomy 7, I've got two more scriptures. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9. And remember, these kings had this knowledge. They had this, this history already. Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love upon them, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you, because he would keep the oath which he hath sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh the king. God's doing the same thing in our lives today with a mighty hand. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and his, keeps his commandments. I'm going to pause just for a second, but this is how great God is. And this is what the right response and the right positioning will do. When they ran to the wrong place, it, it had effect for the third and fourth generation. Sounds brutal, right? But not compared to God's grace. Because keeping covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments for to a thousand generations. That's awesome. This is the God we serve. This is magnificent. And my last scripture, Lamentations, verse chapter 3, starting with 22. And, and remember, Lamentations is, is a book of complaints. It's an anointed book of complaints. This is where Israel... Where where Jeremiah is writing and and, and weeping through every chapter because of the destruction of the, the destructive pattern of the people and their unfaithfulness to God. And yet, right in the middle of all of it, he declares just how great and faithful God is. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Amen. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. We serve an awesome God. And when I say we're blessed, and we're blessed coming in, blessed going out, hmm, we keep reaching for for Jesus. We keep walking in newness of life. Every day, his mercies are renewed every morning. We don't have the luxury. It's not our portion to ever look back and to go back. That old man needs to die hmm, so that that new man can continue to live and thrive in God's blessings and mercy. Amen.